Are you conscious of your addiction? Refuse to be defined by it? Not satisfied with living your life on the surface? Are you drawn to deeper meaning and purpose? And believe that it's possible to grow through your addiction to experience true freedom? Well, welcome home. Share the journey from addiction to freedom with your host, Michael Gregory. Welcome back. So another episode of From Addiction to Freedom. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit more about, I guess, how we've all got addiction. So let's have a chat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually um, wanted to ask you, going on from what you just said, because you've been helping people with addictions for a long time, I'm actually curious to know, what do you mean when you say everyone has an addiction? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good question, which is actually, in a way, for me, fundam- this is a main theme of this whole Addiction to Freedom project because what I realised was that addiction in the general kind of psyche is looked down upon as if everyone, as if only certain almost subhumans have an addiction and that it's, you know, almost like a disease. And some people, you know, would classify it that way and it's only the minority that might have that. But for what I've learned is that, yes, there are some addictions that are really debilitating and, and it becomes quite obvious that it's detrimental and dis- destructive, but the same mind patterns exist in all of us. And uh, in in all sorts of ways, and um, in fact, I I was watching a one of my f- kind of ongoing contemplations is a definition of addiction, and I came across a really good one the other day from Gabor Mate. You can look him up on YouTube, and um, but he his his definition of addiction is basically, if I can remember it, maybe correctly, is that you know any behaviour that that produces cravings, where there's cravings and where you can't stop it when you decide to try and stop or you find it difficult to stop it and where it has a destructive or detrimental impact in your life. And um, so that's really easy to spot with, let's say, smoking addiction or other substances. But it's less easy to spot with, I mean, you can spot it with, I think it's now pretty commonly known that you know, online gaming can be an addiction and other things like, you know, there's a well-known codependency, you know, like love addiction, you know, where people need to be in a relationship and they're kind of addicted to that. And then there's even more subtle ones like I would call negative thinking an addiction because that's a behaviour, if you call thinking a behaviour, where... Well, I wouldn't say that there are necessarily obvious cravings when you're not thinking negatively, but the thing is it it soon pops up as a habit very quickly in a situation when someone's challenged, if they have that negative thinking. You know, they pop up, there's a fear that pops up and and and, and they say, well, what if I can't do this? And then start thinking about all the negative possibilities and, and out of fear maybe get blocked there from not going forward or undermining what they're trying to do. 
And, and I see that as a, a form of addiction, but on a more subtle level, let's say, call it a mental addiction. You know, and then you've got maybe, you could say that certain emotions, I know people are going to argue with me about this one and say, oh, it's just an emotion. But I would also, and that's true, emotions are natural things, but I think that you can learn to recognise when an emotion comes up as to whether it's a healthy thing to respond in that way or not healthy. Let's take an example. Let's say you, you fly off, someone flies off the handle and gets really angry and says a whole lot of things that they don't really mean. And then maybe they learn to recognise that feeling that's coming and they learn how to not say those things when they have that feeling and deal with that feeling some other way. So I would say that, that, that if someone has perpetual anger, it's kind of like a bad habit, kind of like an emotional addiction. That's where I'm going with this. And then you could say, well, what's the root of all of that? What's the underlying root of all of those behaviours? And that would come back to, in a way, the centre of all of that is me. And all of those behaviours... I'm trying to be okay somehow. So, you know, from a Chinese medicine point of view, so I'm not sure if everyone knows, but I trained as an acupuncturist. I worked as an acupuncturist for 15 years. So Chinese medicine's a way of thinking that's very different to the Western way of thinking. And one of the core principles of that is the idea that there's, there's you know, yin and yang, so, and these are kind of opposite or polarities, pol- polar forces like activity and rest. That'd be yang and yin, rest, be yin and activity be yang. And everyone is trying to form a balance in their, whatever they're doing, whatever, whatever anyone does, the idea is that everyone's trying to, it's their best attempt at being balanced right now, no matter what's going on. So take the example of someone being angry and saying a whole lot of things that they perhaps didn't mean. Well, there's a reason for that. Inside of them there's a reason that that is an attempt for them to remain in the situation or be okay with that within themselves, even if from a bigger perspective, like say the relationship or the people that they were talking to, maybe it's unbalanced. But within themselves, that might be a very strong protective mechanism because it's touching on something that, that's very painful for them it's, or, or maybe something that might be shameful or, or embarrassing and so they attack back to try and create safety. So they're just trying to be okay in the situation. And, of course, somebody's attempt at being balanced is not necessarily achieving balance on a bigger scale, let's say, in a, in, in, a, in a partnership relationship or in a group relationship, there's, there's layers of balance in a way. So coming from that perspective where everyone's trying to create an okayness for themselves right now. Um, when you say okayness with themselves, do you mean like to keep themselves safe? Is, is that the aim of? Trying to be okay? Yeah, for, well, I would say yes, but I don't think that's very conscious for some people. It might be that, you know, it's to preserve their pride. 
their, their self-esteem in somehow. Like I was in the surf the other day and you know how when you're surfing, someone's already on the wave, it's a big no-no to, to drop in on that wave yeah. because you, the other person who's already on the wave could crash into you, so it's called a drop-in. And someone dropped in on another person and, and all you could hear <laughs> was F-bombs going off. <laughs> You know, and one of those people was at fault, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the conventions of surfing. But even that person was still, you know, paddling off, calling the other one names. Mm-hmm. And I just thought at the time, I thought, yeah, he has to do that to try and keep his own status. Yeah. Even though, you know, it's not a very good status. <laughs> In himself, he was he trying to, to make sure that he was okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking, well, how would I handle that? And I was just thinking, well, I'd I'd just say I'd apologise, mm-hmm. and because I don't, that's just me. I don't need that conflict. And if there's a problem, well, you know, I'm sorry about that, or you know, whatever. There's different ways of handling it. So coming way back to where we started, mm-hmm. it's what's the centre of all of those habits of operating is me or you or each individual person themselves trying to be okay. And, and I think understanding that is the key in a way. So once you have that understanding, how do you go about looking after yourself in a healthy way? Well, let's talk about that understanding for a sec. Did you mean the understanding of that each, all of our addictions are uh, centred around ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So just to unpack that a little more, I, I'm going to call that identity addiction, right. you know, addicted to myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> addicted to my own identity. And Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, let's say that surfer guy, mm-hmm. he had an identity in his own mind that he had to prop up because the other guy was publicly calling out that he did a bad thing, Mm -hmm. which means it's kind of maybe shameful or embarrassing, lowering of his pride or pecking order. And so he was being diminished in in his own view of himself. And so he had to counterbalance that by propping it up by mouthing off back to the other guy. So his identity, the way he well, the way he was operating, I wouldn't say the way he's perceiving it because he's probably not aware of it, but the way he was operating, he needed to protect that identity at least to the degree which it was functioning within him. Mm. And it, it resulted in a really kind of, I don't know, when other people were looking on, they were thinking, actually for both of them, that's a really bad way to handle it. I think it is anyway, because it it affected everybody. Like we're all out there having a spacious time in the beautiful water, and then you hear this going on. It had a negative effect, and I'm sure it had a negative effect on each on them. So it's one way of handling it, but and I think that there's other ways of handling it. That if there was a a different understanding of themselves, like let's say not hanging on so tightly to a rigid need to appear 
to be right or that identity was trapping it's trapping him into that behaviour. So, so I would say there's a lack of understanding of what, in that instance, there was a lack of understanding of what that per. Let's say let's say I was the person who was mouthing off. There would be a lack of understanding of who I am and what I am, because there, in other words, there's this constructed view that I need to appear to be tough enough to be able to threaten the other guy to back off. You know, I, I need to have that appearance. That's part of my identity if I was that guy. But they, when I look at that in detail, that's really just, I would say that's a set of ideas. Like, does he really need to appear to be tough? Is it actually really tough <laughs> to do that? Mm. And... Why does he feel the need? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. comes back to what we were talking about in the last episode where he's trying to make everything okay on the inside by having certain things occur on the outside. But when we discussed last time where does the outside stop and the inside begin, once we start really looking at that, the further you go at trying to discover what I am or what, who am I, the more that that opens out into you can't grasp anything, the more it opens out into something that seems to be endless, doesn't have boundaries. The me is not a separate individual thing to be protected. And if we believe it is, then it, I think it res, results in all of these different ways of operating on the so-called outside, but all based on a delusion of what the me is. So how does balance come into this? How do we find that balance? Well, I, I don't, and I'm not sure that there's really one answer to that because um, there'd be different answers for different people. Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't say that I really have those answers certainly not for everybody (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think there are a few things that I've learned along the way maybe that could be helpful uh, like perhaps certain areas that to take into account so one is let's say if we recognize that a lot of actually let me tell you this story first and we can come back to that just make sure we do come back to it so let's talk about the story I just heard of this research, and don't ask me where it came from because I don't know, and I'm going to have to look it up. Mm-hmm. But it made a lot of sense to me, and I am going to look it up. And if anybody already knows about this, I'd love you to put it in the comments. <laughs> that would be you. So the story was about this experiment with some mice and where they put the mice in an environment where there were lots of interesting things for them to do and play with and interact with and some water with a little bit of cocaine in it. And so some of the mice would have a little bit of that water with the cocaine and go off and have a <laughs> an interesting time. And then, uh, but, but they all didn't necessarily always come back to it. Only some of them did. There was other water and it wasn't the main focus for the majority. 
And then they put them into a really quite boring environment where there was very little to do, very little stimulation, and um, and where the, where the mice were kind of bored and they started being unhappy, unhappy behaviours, according to mice. And they also still had the water with the cocaine in it. So more of the mice in that environment went for that water and more of them returned back to it until they kept on returning back to it until they killed themselves. So I know that we're not mice, <laughs> but um, I do think there are some parallels, which from my experience, where um, in an unhappy environment, it's, we're, we're constantly trying to find a solution to that, to be happy, to be balanced. And so in some of the behaviours we fall into, destructive and addictive, and um, so I think that's part of it where we're trying to find solutions to happiness. And so where we can't find solutions or where the majority of our experience is unhappy, the more, you know, then, well, for example, we're more likely to become addicted to things. For example, let's say in our society right now, there's been this explosion of uh, prescription of opioids and antidepressants. It's kind of the legal drug and people are addicted to those. I mean, some more than others, but it's kind of a, the accepted way to handle unhappiness. So, I mean, that's just an example, but there are other behaviours, all these other behaviours of trying to get status, trying to get money, trying to have certain experiences, certain entertainment. I mean, I wonder whether or not we, we might look back on this period and, and, and say that a lot of people were addicted to to binge watching, you know, Netflix series, for example, as a way of just getting some mindless entertainment so, to feel good in an in a, in, if their, their life isn't as happy as they'd like it to be. I mean, the amount of hours, I'm not saying, not calling that, but I'm saying I'm wondering. <laughs> so one factor I think is a search for happiness. And then another factor is ignorance about how to find happiness, particularly around, well, to find happiness, we need to, to, to understand, you know, where happiness is and, and to do that, we need to look at who we are and what we are. Because happiness really comes back to some peace, I think, a stable peace. I mean, it can be, you know, having an, a great time and everything like that, but a lot of those things are temporary. And that's fine if we can keep replacing the temporary with another continually, you know, when one temporary solution ends and, and, you, and, you, and you get another one lined up in quick succession and have those continual externally sort of gratifying experiences lined up forever. I mean, that's, that's, that's one strategy, isn't it, that people we follow. But a stable internal peace, once that's experienced, is by far way more happy. And the other more, let's say, external, in inverted commas, experiences can come and go. It doesn't seem to matter that much if there's this stable internal peace. So the first thing we said was, you know, searching for happiness. Second thing was 
not understanding where happiness is or can be found. And a third thing, which I think is really important, is in a way how we're, we're hardwired for survival. So what I mean by that is fight or flight, that when we experience pain, we're actually, our brain is literally hardwired to respond in a way to try and avoid that pain. And it's a subconscious thing. It's to do with the brainstem, which is at the base of the, the brain, base of the skull, which is different to the frontal cortex, where the frontal lobe, where more the com complex thinking happens. So this brain, this we, they call it the reptilian brain, the old brain, which has a lot of kind of survival instinct hardwired into it. It's where you either, when there's danger, you either run and hide or to get away from the danger or stand and fight to destroy the danger and survive. So, and this has been very useful for us to survive. But the problem is now is that we've applied that, well, without realising it subconsciously, it's been applied to all sorts of pains and sufferings. So when somebody continually puts you down and, and, and you feel embarrassed or ashamed, you naturally want to avoid them. So a lot of addictive behaviour ends up having this fight or flight built into it that keeps, keeps a person trapped into that without realising it so that when they try and break away from that behaviour or change the behaviour, the fight or flight comes up, rears up with fear, anxiety, irritability even, which tends to bring you back to the addiction, addictive behaviour to, to, to settle down the fight or flight. So that's a big one, which I don't think a lot of people realise. Do you work a lot with that fight or flight with people that are trying to quit smoking? Yeah. Yeah, that's where it's become really obvious to me. Mm -hmm. But I can see it in all sorts of ways. I mean, I don't know, does that resonate for you? In, yes. In your experience? Absolutely. I think fight or flight is, um, you know, that anxiety that comes up in people you know, it, it becomes this vicious um, cycle of, you know, wanting to quit but the fear of not having what makes them happy in itself is, um, is such a big stressor for people that straight away that kicks in yeah. and reinforces that fight or flight and, um, and you feel pretty miserable when you're in that state. Yeah. And uh, so your first reaction would be how can I make myself safe and how can I look after myself? And if you're not aware of actually being in this cycle, fight or flight, I can imagine that the first thing you would do would go would be to go for what makes a quick fix, yeah. quick fix, whatever it is, whether yeah. it is Netflix, whether it is drugs, whether it is saying, you know, F this or that. <laughs> when you're in the surf. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was wondering just while you I was just think what came to mind while you were talking there is I wonder if you can see how this relates to you know girls and women 
somehow, you know. Mm-hmm. Does that, can you see how women getting trapped into certain ways of operating mm-hmm. because of fight or flight or, be, or the fight or flight helping to trap them into that? Yes, yeah. I'm, what comes to mind for me would be certain relationships where women might feel trapped because the idea of leaving a particular relationship that might not be a good place for them to be, the fear that kicks in basically paralysing them into, which I guess is freeze. Um, yeah, rather flight, than, yeah. Well, yeah, and feeling like they can't make any changes and then basically settling back into what is feel safe, which is the life they're in now. Yeah. And being constantly in that vicious cycle again of wanting to go but getting scared, yeah. staying where they are, can see that it would apply to them. I wonder if it also applies to, for example, eating disorders, you know, the, where it becomes, again, a pattern of, for example, not eating, binge eating, going into fight or flight because they feel completely stressed out for basically doing what they said they weren't going to do, being themselves up about it, and then going back to not eating. Would that be mm. correct to say that that would be? Yeah, I, I imagine it's involved. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure of the details, mm. but it makes sense that. So I think there's a lot of self-image involved in all of that. Mm-hmm. I haven't got a lot of experience in that area, but but from what I, the little I do understand is that there's a certain image in the mind that mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that they align with mm-hmm. and then and when they perceive that they're not aligning with that there's this fear arises and this anxiety about not aligning with that and so we try to do something about it to get into alignment with that image which comes back to what we said before about identity addiction and in in that case i would think I would, I'd be thinking that identifying with that conceptual image of themselves is actually part of the problem because that's not who they are. But they're not actually their body. As we talked about that in the last episode, who, who we actually are is, is not the body. I mean, it's not that we're separate from the body or, or anything like that either, but, but the, the the deep experience of who we are, what we say, I and me, and where that happiness is, what they're really looking for. Because you know, aligning with that image is an attempt to be happy, right? So what they're really looking for is not going to be achieved there, and that's a kind of the misconception there. But also you were saying about a woman trapped in a, a bad relationship, let's say, which um, I guess could be male or female, male I'm or female. That's right. Yeah, female, but just. Yeah, there's something that came females, to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone trapped in a relationship, it could be a relationship in like a job yeah. where you want to leave that job because you're not getting on with someone, maybe your boss, maybe a coworker, but feeling that you can't because of all sorts of reasons and feeling trapped into that. I guess I'm wondering if that's really an addiction though mm-hmm. or just a circumstance that you want to get make a change from. Yeah. I think an addiction is more where 
it's a repeated mm-hmm. pattern. And there certainly are repeated patterns in relationships. I think there is a, there's a big identity addiction with both men and women. Try and, 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 and fashion is fashion's interesting, isn't it? Because it's kind of on the one hand, it's, you know, it, it's driven by um, aesthetics. Mm. You know, something looks amazing just aesthetically. Then we have this appreciation for beautiful things clothes and the way people look and things like that but then on the other hand then there's the that's one side of it the creative side and then the other side of it is where you know people need feel this need to be aligning with whatever is the group is doing or whatever group they want to identify with as if that's going to somehow create a sense of okayness because belonging to a group creates a feeling of safety. Yeah. That's how we're wired, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we're constantly doing that. <laughs> how do you feel about trust when it comes to addictions? Where does trust play a role in your opinion in addictions, from addictions? When you say trust... Wondering where that's coming from. Like, just, what, just what? I remember reading somewhere that um, you know, to combat fear, often trusting can be really helpful. Oh, yeah. Trusting in things are going to be okay, or trusting in yourself, or you know, I guess almost uh, a form of gratitude, trusting or being grateful for what you have, and trusting everything is going to be okay. Does yeah. any of that? Well, I think it's probably operating on. Few different levels, really. I mean, let's say someone is using an addiction to feel okay in the moment. Well, they kind of they have a they have a trust that when they have engage in that whatever that behaviour is, that they are going to feel okay. I think it's on that's a kind of maybe a superficial level, but I think on a really deeper level. I think there's probably a, an inherent, as you say, fear that we're not okay and um, we need to engage in whatever the strategies are to be okay and some of those might be a not healthy strategies like having more chocolate. <laughs> as a small one, or um, having more alcohol, or uh, what staying up really late watching more binge watching. So, in that sense, I wonder if they're really deeply underlying is a is a lack of okayness, this sense of which is in a sense is is a lack of. I think. I think trust is a kind of a, a byproduct of, of being centred. I mean, centred is a word. Coming back to the experience of being at one with everything, then there's nothing can be destroyed there. There's nothing to fear there. If that's what we are, 
that, that fear is not part of that. And, um, and a sense of ongoing okayness is inherent. It's not like so much, like you could, like, I guess it could be represented in terms of a set of, a, like, a, an imaginary set of events into the future that I'm going, everything's going to be okay. But everything may not be okay in terms of the events, the external events. Things are going to be up and down, most likely. But there can be a deeper trust in the sense which might more a reflection of a deeper sense, call it, of inherent already okayness cannot be disturbed. Maybe like the, maybe a good analogy might be you've got the ocean, you've got the, the surface of the ocean can be all up and down. And, you know, as you know, it can be quite choppy. But you only have to go under a little bit and it's already very calm. But there's still going to be currents there, like a rip or something. But you go deeper and deeper, and it's really calm and silent. And that's the nature of it. And I think that if you're operating on the surface and wondering, is there going to be more bumps? <laughs> is there going to be big waves? Mm -hmm. And if that's all that you know, you could be really worried. And really be working hard to kind of keep your belief and trust that you're not going to get knocked around. But if you're sent that if that's where you identify as your self, that would be quite rocky. Whereas if you identify with a deeper sense of what and who you are, actually doesn't really matter so much what goes on on the surface. I mean it does and it doesn't. But there is a deep knowing that there's a continuity of okayness, which is, I think, what you mean by trust in that yes. sense. Yeah. yeah. Beautifully explained. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I actually saw one of your quotes the other day about oh, yeah. the ocean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which one's that? Uh, well, I was, was hoping that, you could tell me. Is that on, on Instagram? <laughs> yes. Would you mind repeating? The one about the wave. Mm. Oh, like, are we... Are we the, is a wave separate from the ocean and, are, and am I separate from awareness? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah that, that. That, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can end on this just for now. So I could just kind of explain this and we'll maybe. So what that, so I'll say it again, is, is a wave separate is a wave in the ocean separate from the ocean? And am I or you or anyone separate from our awareness? What I was trying to point to there was like a wave. If you, if you call it a wave, like that word wave seems like an individual thing. But it's, and when you look at it, you could say, yeah, it's a wave. It's separate, has its own life. In individuality, but looking a bit deeper into the very nature of what that wave is made up of, the essence of that wave is water, which is the same as the whole ocean. So 
And so then I, I was trying to point to that being the same with us, you know, are we as an individual person, as an individual entity, which we look like something separate, we operate like as if we're separate to everything else with our bodies walking around separately to the ground, we can jump and, <laughs> you know, go here and there. It's like the wave looks a bit separate to the ocean. But when we, just like when we look at the inherent nature of the wave and we, we see that it's water, which is the same as the ocean, if we look at deeply at the inherent nature of what I am or what you are, what we are, when we turn our awareness, so when we look at what that, that essential nature is, what do we find? And how do we look at that? Well, when I say look, what are we using to look? And the answer is really we're using our awareness. We're not necessarily using our eyes or our senses. And we're not necessarily using our thoughts, concept, conceptual understanding. I mean, conceptual understanding is always a description of experience, if you know what I mean? Like it's always describing what's already happened. Otherwise it couldn't describe it. So it's, it's secondary to the actual experience. So awareness being the primary experience, if we look deeply using awareness at what we are, then we experience, they're really, we, we really aren't separate from that awareness. And that aware, everything is occurring within just like the wave, everything about the wave is made up of exactly the same as what the whole ocean's made up of, then our awareness is made up of exactly, like everything is occurring within awareness. Like it, there's nothing that I perceive. Like if I talk about an inside and an outside, then immediately I'm bringing in a conceptual separation between me and other. But I'm employing a, a conceptual facility to do that. I put that down for a sec and just experience awareness, then we have to say that everything is occurring to us, at least, within awareness. And the more we focus on that, the more we experience that we essentially are that awareness. And there's no limit to it, but you can't, there's no boundary to it, like it, it's always present. Present means there's no past, there's no future. Past and future are only brought in when you pick up the conceptual facility again. So being present means there's actually no time. There's no time. It's timeless. <laughs> timeless there's no end to it so pick up the conceptual facility again and you have to say infinite timeless infinite so and it's not it's not there <laughs> like there is picking up that conceptual facility and and then chopping up experience and saying 
that's a here and that's a there, <laughs> you know, as if they're two separate things. But in awareness, put that conceptual facility down again and there is, there is no here and there is no there. And actually in that is peace. Peace is present. But you can experience that, right? Mm. It's, it's not a mystery. It's just a matter of putting down the conceptual facility and experiencing, like, following a, awareness of awareness. Awareness of awareness. And so that's what that means in a sense. Uh, 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 am I or are you separate from awareness? You, what are you? What, find the you. Is that you separate from awareness? It's um, like if we, the temptation is for the, to pick up the conceptual facility and start trying to apply it and like rummaging through the drawer to find a piece of cutlery to apply to it. That immediately, that immediately puts a, a set of goggles on that creates separation of everything. That's where awareness is being forced through a prism into a particular projection of things. If we put that down and just experience awareness and then kind of turn it back, which is a meta, I'm saying that metaphorically because there is no turning, then we're not, how can we be separate from awareness, just like the a wave be separate from the ocean? And I guess this brings it all home to, I guess, you know, where where my understanding is of this at the moment around addiction, there is there is no addiction there. There is no addiction there because there's no wanting. There is no craving there. There is no better, no more that needs satisfying. You know, there's nothing that needs to be added to that. It's already complete. Like awareness is complete in itself. Everything that occurs within awareness is kind of just an interplay of phenomena, including binge-watching Netflix, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, so I would see that as the, as the, um, the freedom part from addiction to freedom is also, you know, from awareness of ourselves as separate, like the wave, to awareness of ourselves as, I don't know <laughs> what you would say, as the ocean. The vast deep ocean. Yeah, yeah as the yeah. deep ocean, yeah. Mm. Well, and, and, and the surface as well. Mm. Yeah, all of it. So for any more of your awesome quotes, <laughs> I can, people can find them on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. What's your Instagram account called? This is a shameless plug, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is an unplanned shameless <laughs> plug. To get, You can go to addiction.2.freedom. 
if you like some shameless quotes. <laughs> All right. If you're still here, well, you're obviously somebody that I'd like to talk to. All right. Take care. Bye.